This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashaw. I'm here with my co-host, Tyler Hurley. Yes, and we're super excited to start a new series with you guys on nihilism. Yeah, I kind of, to be honest, right up right up front, um, uh, it was on the Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders Facebook group a few weeks ago, and I really wanted to do a New Testament reliability series. The truth comes out. The truth, yeah. And so I put in there, hey, Insiders, we want your opinion. Uh, do you want a New Testament reliability series or – and seriously, on the spot, I was like, what's something no one's going to pick? Nihilism. And I, and I put it in there. And then uh, I was completely wrong, and everybody wants nihilism. That's how uh, it is. Pretty much. There were a few people who said, can't you do both? And we probably will get to bi- biblical reliability. But for today, we're starting our nihilism uh, series. So here we go. And I thought it would be great to bring in my good friend, Sean White. Uh, Sean is just an awesome guy, a brilliant apologist. He graduated from the Master's in uh, Christian Apologetics from Biola University, like myself. Uh, He's also currently getting his PhD in Philosophy of Humanities at Faulkner University, and he is a wealth of information on nihilism. So Sean, thanks so much for being on the show today, man. We're glad that you're here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sean, as you know, because you've been on our show before, and you and me have hung out a ton, and we've done road trips together, and uh, you know I am pretty addicted to coffee. Actually, you know what, Sean? I've come to the conclusion I think that coffee is addicted to me. (laughs) Oh, that's, <laughs> I, that's a good that's a good perspective yeah it's just everywhere i go it follows and it's, i can't get away from it but anyway now you on the other hand not addicted to coffee this is this is true i'm i'm uh anti-coffee not anti-coffee anti? oh okay no, 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 not <laughs> but yeah i know yeah i'm not a coffee drinker you are not a partaker in the greatest beverage of all time well i don't know i mean hot chocolate is <laughs> On my list. So. Hot chocolate is pretty good, man. It's a cousin, right? It is a cousin. Yeah, it's related. It's related. So, what is something that you do enjoy about coffee? Because obviously, not the drink itself, but what's something you do enjoy? So, my wife likes coffee, and she's got a bunch of different kinds here at the house, and oh. I always enjoy the smell of it. Amen. I, think I, okay. I always think it smells great, um, but man, I just I can't get past the taste. Yeah, so. that's okay. Hey, that's all right, man. The smell is great, by the way. I love it. I like when I hang out in a coffee shop and then I go home and my clothes smell like coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty enjoyable. I, I actually can't relate. I have no sense of smell, actually. Really? Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, I'm learning so I new things all I the time. I can't smell coffee, actually. So it's just a taste for you. Yeah. Interesting. You learn something oh. new every day. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, well, let's get into it. Sean. Mr. Expert on nihilism, on nothingism, basically, right? We, we, we thought it'd be good to have you on and just give a brief intro to what nihilism is, where it came from, kind of what the tenets of the worldview are, yes. so that we can wrap our minds around it as we move into how do we talk to people uh, that, that believe this? How do we use apologetics to help them see uh, the truth of reality in scripture and especially in the resurrection? But so what is an introduction uh, to nihilism? 
Okay, well, that's yeah, that's a great question. I think an introduction to nihilism is just the idea, and and typically when when you use the term nihilism, what most people think of is uh, that it stands for you know that nothingness, that everything has mm. no purpose, mm. no value, no right and wrong, that there just isn't any meaning or significance to life or the world, right? And that's, I think that's what typically what most people think of. And that would be something that's, that's actually called existential nihilism, right? Okay. That, that life doesn't have any meaning. Um, but there's all sorts of different varieties or shades of nihilism that kind of fall under that big umbrella. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into some of the history of it, yeah, just uh, kind of where did it come from? How did it develop? That would be great. Yeah, so uh, the term was actually coined by a German uh, philosopher by the name of uh, Frederick Heinrich Jacobi. Um, late 1800s, early, or, I'm sorry, late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, it showed up uh, in some of his writings. Uh, he was he was dialoguing back and forth in some letters with uh, Mendelssohn, mm. and he was critiquing Spinoza's views. Okay, and in Sp and in talking about Spinoza, he he coins the term nihilism that that Spinoza's views lead to this idea of nothingness, mm. um, and so he's really the first philosopher to actually use the term, mm. the first philosopher to actually really. Um, kind of focus on it in a way would be uh, the German philosopher Max Stirner, and he, he lived in the mid-1800s. Uh, he picked up on this in his work, and, and it was written in German, but translated in English. It's called The Ego and Its Own. And he, he, he put forth this idea of, uh, of what's called egoism, okay. that the self is autonomous, that we should not be under any kind of authority, um, whether that is government authority or whether it's religious authority or we shouldn't even be holding to other people or our own desires. Wow. Mm. Um, so, so it's a really kind of crazy view, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that you have to temper your own desires so that you're not a slave to your own appetites, right? Okay. So uh, we kind of would see that you know, as, as a virtue, right? That you want to temper your, your desires and your appetites. Yeah. Kind but of like self-control. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. he takes it to, to, to this extreme, right? That, right. So he would think that like a guy who is, uh, uh, you know, if there was a man who was, um, really greedy mm -hmm. and, and also really selfish and narcissistic, he would see that guy as a, as, a, uh, someone who is, is, uh, not an egoist, even though we may think of him as an egoist, right? Okay. That, that person, because he said he is enslaved to his desire for money. Okay. Right. And so, and so he would, he would kind of say that's, that's bad. Mm. Um, but anyway, so he, he kind of popularized it at a philosophical level in the mid 1800s for a little while. And then it kind of died out and, and then Nietzsche picks it up, uh, in the late 1800s. Right. But what's interesting is that his view, this, uh, Max Stirner's view, um, had more of a political slant to it because it was, let's get out from underneath the authority of, uh, the government and from any type of legal obligations okay. and police and stuff like that. Right. Okay. And so, um, 
this really kind of took off in Russia. And there was a book written, and we're probably not going to be able to see the cover of this, um, but that's okay. There, there was a book that was written uh, and published in 1862 uh, by a Russian author uh, by the name of Ivan Turgenev. Okay. And the name of the book is Fathers and Sons. And the uh, main uh, protagonist in the, in the story, his name is Bazarov, and he is a nihilist. Um, and, and so this really came into popular culture with the with the publication of this book. Okay, it, that's what brought it, it down from the ph- philosophical level to normal people understanding civil. it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and it hit really hard on this uh, political authoritative type of we need to get out from underneath all authority, right? And, okay. be, and be single individuals, and and then this eventually spun off into into other things. Um, there was a nihilist movement uh, within within the Russian government in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm. Uh, it it kind of took on the form of anarchy after a while, right? Yeah. Uh, you would have dynamiting bombings and terrorism, and it became associated with that kind of uh, of group. And that's really kind of where it got it started. But then, but then, uh, you know, there's there's kind of like the idea of moral nihilism. Uh, right. which we kind of think of more as relativism. Yeah. Right. So there is no real good moral right and wrong. You know, there is no standard. Mm-hmm. It's just right and wrong. And, and, and we kind of make up our own good and, and what we think is good, mm-hmm. you know, that it's in our own eyes. That's kind of a moral type of nihilism. There's a, um, there, there's an epistemological nihilism, right? Uh, epistemology, all that means is, is our theory of knowledge. How do we know things? Mm-hmm. Epistemological nihilism falls under, uh, what we would co- kind of consider today, uh, postmodernism. Okay. okay. So epistemological nihilism is just the idea that there really is no source or foundation for knowledge or truth. It's just this kind of free floating, whatever, Okay. And, um, and the, the question you always want to ask is, how do you know that? Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, because it, it's just a lack of any type of foundation or authority or source for for any of that. Yeah. For, for, mor- um, for morals, for epistemology, for purpose, right? That's kind of, there is oh, no yeah. authority for anything in nihilism, right? Right. Except for uh, the self, right? The, the whole idea is to be autonomous. Okay. Right to 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 break away from any type of obligation um, to anyone else or anything else that idea right? sounds pretty similar to like buddhist teachings in my yeah, yes. my LED. yeah i would say so just in the, the the removing of the self that's pretty similar in my opinion at least it sounds in that way would that be correct well yeah and, yeah. and if you think about it right this kind sure. of eastern idea of oneness right is mm-hmm. is that buddhist mm-hmm. idea yeah. but think about what spinoza was talking about in his philo- in his philosophy and theology i mean that's kind of the direction it was going sure. right yeah. that he was spouting and this is why uh, jacobi kind of calls him out on it in his papers in his dialogue with mendelssohn and he comes up with this term nihilism right because because he says spinoza is going to this direction of nothing mm-hmm. okay right yeah it's espousing nothingness right and and really uh in, in buddhist thought i mean what is nirvana 
Nothing. Yeah, nirvana it's nothing. Is nothing, right? That's what it means. It's, yeah. it's it's the cell. You, you're losing your own identity into the into the one, right? Mm-hmm. There is no individuals. Yeah, and that even gets into that idea where that guy said, you know, our desires, we have to learn to control our desires. That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. Because in Buddhism, right. one of the things they need to do is desire not to desire. Right. Right. Which I don't know how you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of where my thought process was leading as you were explaining that. It sounds very similar. Well, well Sean, yeah. wh- why, why don't they have any grounding for epistemology or mm-hmm. morality or purpose? What 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 is the assumed view of the world to say there's really not anything grounding stuff? Mm, sure. Um. Well, that's a good question. I think I think some of it probably comes uh, just from this whole idea of wanting to break free of everything and being completely autonomous from from everything else. Mm. I mean, I want to. I want to be my own authority in all areas, right? Okay. I, I want to be my own authority on what I know. I want to be on my own authority on what I can and cannot do, and nobody can tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ends up being a very bleak existence, right? And and uh, I'm, I'm writing on some of this. I'm going to be writing on some of this on, on actually in my dissertation and uh the one of my professors you know when we talk about this um i I had a little joke of a of a post on my facebook uh you know this week on it that um you know nihilism is kind of this child of atheism and uh uh why am i forgetting it now (laughs) <laughs> and materialism is that what you said yeah materialism right. yeah yeah materialism right it's it's this if if atheism and materialism had a baby mm-hmm. you know they'd name it nihilism right because yeah, yeah. There you go. What it is because because atheism is this idea of of uh not really skepticism of god exists but a certainty that god does not exist right it's mm-hmm. it's this statement and and materialism is very much the same Materialism isn't a skepticism of whether the immaterial world or that there's an immaterial reality, but it's a statement that all that exists is the material world. Mm-hmm. Well, when you cut God out of the picture and when you cut any immaterial aspect of reality out of the picture, all you're left is with what? Yeah. You know, just mm-hmm. ju- just a physical, some type of physical deterministic type of type of world yeah well and how do they deal with like because this is the thing that's so uh, almost silly to me is they want to be autonomous right it's just me i'm my own person but everything is so contingent on uh the the previous causes of my existence right Hmm. so am i ever really autonomous because i couldn't be where i'm at unless there were people who taught me language unless my mom and dad got together unless it's all like how, how I am connected to other people. I'm not just my own thing. Yeah. I'm contingent on a lot of other prior causes. So I don't know yeah. how they get around that. Yeah, Sterner has this analogy in his book that he works through where he talks about uh, there's these three different stages that you go through. And he uses this analogy to talk <clears throat> about the history of, of humanity. Okay. But the first stage is the idea that you know when you're a child, you're dependent upon your mother. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you're relying upon her for for your needs and and for living. And then at a certain age, you get to the point to where you're not dependent upon her anymore. And that's the whole reason, right, that that you're supposed to break away and that you're supposed to be autonomous from her. Yeah. And he says, this is, he says, and so he's kind of taking a negative view of humanity, though. He says, you know, humanity was like this in the pre-Christian age. And then we got to a Christian age where we kind of broke away from from that old view. And now we're beyond that. Now we're beyond the Christian age where we're where we don't even need that. We don't need that type of authority. We can make our own, our own choices. And so he kind of uses this analogy for, for how he wants to describe how this kind of, how he thinks this kind of plays out. Okay. So is he saying, is he saying that that nullifies the need for a mother? He's not saying that. Um, no, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's so difficult to understand. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I, I can get the, I can get the broad contours of, of some of what he's saying, but sure. man, some of the, some of the stuff is like super. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, and he's, it's not always, it doesn't always come across as being consistent. Yes. Right. Sure. And I think that's the problem is, <laughs> is you lack consistency in some of this thinking, because like you were saying, how do you actually escape? this chain of causation if things are really determined, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, everything's yeah. determined. How can, how can I become autonomous? Because even my desire to be autonomous, even my uh, belief in nihilism is all caused by other things that have happened in the past. Yeah. If it's, right. if it's a deterministic worldview, right? If everything is determined and I really don't have a choice in the matter, then um, you can't think you've ever had an original thought, you've ever had an original action, yeah. and yet they write as if, now these are original thoughts and I want to encourage people to <laughs> move into this type of a view. But then that was determined that they would have written that and then came up with that idea. It's right. like, yeah, so it's an inconsistent yeah. worldview. Right, it is. And, and, you know, on these views, especially... Uh, uh, materialism. I mean, how how do you explain things like free will? Uh, oh, sure. How do you explain things like a, a soul or mm-hmm. or any of that kind of stuff, right? And but but free will is a big issue, right? Because where where, where does the autonomous self even come from? Yeah, wh- yeah. What is autonomy? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> On a nihilistic view, if we're just a biological machine, you know. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and, and, and aside from the inconsistencies and the uh, contradictions that, that they live out, um, the, the depressing aspect of this, if you really believed this was real, um, it is bleak, like you said. It is completely yeah. bleak. Can you speak to why this would um, just kind of devastate who you are as a human being and what we were made to do with the purpose God's given us? Yeah, um, th- this whole idea of of just total idea. I mean, well, let, let's think about what we're going through right now, mm-hmm. right? With with the current world situation, with this whole sheltering in place, right? Yeah. What what is cutting oneself off from everyone else doing to them? Hmm. It's not good, right? Yeah, yeah. it's not good. <laughs> It's not good. It's mentally, it's bad, mm-hmm. right? The, the people are getting depressed. Yeah. Mm. Um, you, you don't have any type of 
social contact, not not in a real meaningful way where you're where you're actually around people and engaging with people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just this hopelessness and this despair that sits in and and if you look at the existentialists from from the 1900s you know you had Camus and and Sartre and uh you know those kind of of guys writing um if if life is just what the nihilist says it is which is meaningless and purposeless and and there is no significance Mm -hmm. then what's What's the point of me doing anything? If, yeah. it, if it has no lasting impact on anything, and, and not just lasting impact past my time here, right? It, it, if, if there's nothing before I came, and then there's nothing after I come, after I've gone, mm-hmm. and all, all that there is is this time that, that I'm alive now, then, then what's the point of that? Yeah. Why, wh- why am I even here? What am I doing? Is, is it, should, why, why, why is me getting up every day to go to work not pointless? Mm-hmm. And why should I continue to do it? Yeah. I mean, well, why? and to be honest, yeah. why, why uh, try to become autonomous? Yeah. Like who, who cares? Right. Like if, right. if if we're just going into an oblivion of nothing, and the, the you know the universe is going to experience heat death, and there is no supernatural, and there is no life beyond, and uh, if it's it, it really is all nothing. It's just going to nothing, <laughs> and yet the nihilist tries to act like well, but we could do this purposeful thing with it. No, you can't. Like in in the grand scheme of things, yeah. you can't. Yeah, it it doesn't because let's say let's say you. You you uh, did something great, right? And you were remembered for for centuries, right? Sure. Well, when the universe comes to an end, does any of that matter? No. <laughs> of course not, right? And so, so the only thing that's going to make it matter is if there's an impact that's lasting, even that that transcends not just the moment that the moments that you live, but also transcends the this current mode of existence, right? It, yes. There's got to be a, a larger and a bigger impact, uh, which is where, you know, God comes in. Although, you know, someone like Nietzsche would, uh, you know, he, he uh, had the phrase Christian nihilism, right? Uh, mm. there, there, are pe- there are people who think that Christians are nihilists because of our views. Mm. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of that Christian how did he, nihilism, how did right? He, where does that come from? So, so Christian nihilism is the idea that um, Christians do not find any real value or meaning in the world unless there's a God to give things meaning hmm. and to give them and to give them purpose. And because of that, Christians don't really care about the world. All they're looking forward is to the next world. Oh yeah. And 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 since they need a God to give the, the to give their lives and the world meaning. Then um, Nietzsche called them nihilists in that sense, okay. like Christian nihilists. Interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that term. That's fascinating. Mm. But we would say that God created this world with purpose, and it's not so much like yeah. the future of heaven is a different world. It's a continuation. It, 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 yeah, it goes it's not like annihilating yeah. everything. Like you know that idea of nothingness. There's, so, there's so what something. we do now is important. Yeah, yeah. for eternity. But it's also. But it's also not the not true. I don't believe that 
that we find no value in this world, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not like, uh, I mean, if you go back to Genesis, we're, we're supposed to cultivate and take care of the world, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the Christian worldview is that uh, we are to care for the creation that God gave us, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we just say, well, it has no meaning and, and therefore we don't care, no, absolutely. Well, and there are like Nietzsche is right. There are Christians who take that view, and he Nietzsche lived at the turn of the nineteenth century, eighteenth. Yeah, eighteen hundreds, and he died in nineteen hundred. Okay. Yeah. So, see, you know what's very interesting about that, Sean, because um, you know I love studying theology, and um, dispensational theology was really gaining steam at that time. And one of the things it did, and again, I believe in that type of theology, Mm. but one of the things that it did was that a lot of people, especially in the Pentecostal circles, and that was coming up at the same time, they took this view of, we just got to get out of this world, we got to remain unscathed, and they they even wrote songs about that, I'll fly away, this world's not my home, I'm just passing through, in the sweet by and by, when the roll's called up yonder, and it's all about, we got to get out of here. Not, how do we uh, do what God's given us to do with meaning and purpose here? Right. Right. And so right. I can understand his his idea that, yeah, there are people that that live like that, that are Christians. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. not a that's not a um, it's not a good Christian worldview because there is purpose with what uh, with what God uh, has left us to do here. Mm. Right. And I'm I'm no I, I am far from being an expert on Nietzsche, um, sure. but but I've read a little of him and I've read a little of some other writers and uh not everybody thinks that Nietzsche was a nihilist. Oh, uh, they they actually think that uh, some of what Nietzsche was writing about was what is life going to be like after nihilism. Oh, so once we get through once we get through nihilism, right? And Nietzsche's kind of conception of how humanity will evolve mm-hmm. once we get through nihilism was his idea of the overman or the superman or, or that that's what that's who who would rise up afterwards right is that type of person mm-hmm. and uh and and you know me with gk chesterton right so oh, yeah. you love <laughs> chesterton i do love chesterton and i'm going to read this quote here real quick because mm-hmm. uh, uh chesterton is writing about nietzsche in uh his book orthodoxy mm-hmm. and he says this um nietzsche said uh, beyond good and evil, right, which is the name of Nietzsche's book, mm-hmm. because he had not the courage to say more good than good and evil or more evil than good and evil, hmm. where the idea here is that um, the, the, the nihilism that Nietzsche was, w- was struggling with was this idea of morality, right, that we mm-hmm. need to get rid of, we, we need to question uh, all the tenets of morality. We need to question uh, the traditions that have come along with morality. We need to upturn the apple cart with, with Christianity, right? Yeah. And, and so it wasn't uh, – Chesterton's right. It's not uh, more good than good and evil or more evil than good and evil. Yeah. Nietzsche was wanting to get beyond good and evil, mm-hmm. which is the title of his book, right? He wants, yeah. he wants to get past the, the, the moral norms of the day. Mm-hmm. 
and we need to reinvent those things. Okay. Right. And, th- and that's the idea there. But see, the, the whole idea of that, Sean, is is illogical because he thinks it's good well, to I'm get not, beyond good and even, no, I know, yeah, I know yeah, you're yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is my question. Cause Nietzsche, come on, that guy was super smart. I mean, he oh, was yeah. brilliant. How did he not see I'm advocating this would be good for us to do to get beyond it. It's kind of cutting his legs out from under him by saying we need yeah. to get beyond good and evil. Yeah. Cause that'd be good. Yeah. It's like, uh, it doesn't yeah, make sense, you know? And I, I wonder sometimes how people don't see that, uh, that self-refuting nature of their argument. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could probably be sympathetic to that. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I've said in the past where I've had to have somebody point out, mm. you know, my own, my own uh, blindness to something. So sure. I don't, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to hammer him too hard on that. I, to me, that's kind of low hanging fruit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of obvious, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I think in retrospect, right, it's easy to look back. I mean, it's kind of like the positivists at the time. There were some smart people who were who were positivists, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but looking back on it in retrospect, it's like, how could anybody believe that? Yeah. But mm. why, why, why would you think that? Well, and that's why so- we would say it doesn't. it can't be a true worldview because even the people who wanted to believe it couldn't adhere by it, I guess, right? Like, and that's not 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 to right. not to poke holes at them, but just to point out it it doesn't right. work because it's really hard to live. Right, and 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 you just see that, right? It's it's inconsistency, either in, in either in just your normal day to day life of how you're living versus uh, you know all the things that you're claiming to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the whole that that's the whole part of worldview analysis, right? Of of kind of testing the worldviews and and seeing which ones stand up to scrutiny. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, would you say that there are people who are lit, like like in practical life, people nowadays who consider themselves nihilist or live try to live out a nihilistic oh, yeah. existence? I would I would probably I don't know if they try to live out a nihilist existence. I mean, they probably claim to be nihilist, but, you know, still, uh, like we we're just saying, they, they, they still are living some type of inconsistency in their life, even though they, they maybe they think they like the idea of being a nihilist, right? That it gives mm-hmm. them full autonomy. But, but in reality, I mean, <clears throat> you know, are you, still going to work are they still oh sure paying taxes are they still the laws or you know are are they still wanting people to treat them fairly yeah Mm -hmm. um you know all kinds of things are probably still very much not living yeah right yeah yeah And, and that's where it's it's hard to be completely autonomous because then i want other people to do what i want them to do so that's not autonomous for them, right? If I'm hoping they'll treat me correctly, which which is yeah. whatever I view as correctly, right? Right. I think. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's thought, it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, I picked up from Aquinas. I, I think the only really true auto- autonomous, independent being that exists is God, right? Everything else is contingent because yeah. we're finite. And so everything is contingent upon God for for its life and its sustenance and and you know just our existence. So yeah, everything. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, I mean, you think about it from the material sense of like 
I can't not eat food. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just have to have food. And I have right. to have water as well. And um, I have to use the bathroom. And there's just things like I can't decide, oh, I'm no longer doing that. I'm beyond yeah. that. And I think morals are a similar thing to that. I, I can't get beyond good and evil, right? Mm. Now, I might have a misconception right. on what's good and evil, but I can't get beyond the notion that there are good and evil. So there's just a lot of um, – yeah, it's a very difficult worldview to live out, um, and it's very depressing to think nothing I do matters. <laughs> Everything I, I, I do is going to nothingness. I think you'd almost have to be a sociopath, right, to <laughs> – it seems like yeah. to, to kind of live out that type of view. Mm. And and I think this is why, you know, in the 1900s, the whole absurdist movement, you know, kind of mm. came up, which is really what was an outgrowth of all of this was just that life is absurd. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just silliness all around if, if there's no purpose towards it and there's right. no right and wrong and there's no virtue and there's – yeah, it becomes nothing. Well, and that's is that that's where the existentialists came in and said, yes. nihilism's true, but we don't like it. So we need to make something of ourselves, basically, yeah. right? right? And right. they said, yeah. even even though it's going to nothing, we still we gotta delude ourselves to try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and do something important, even though we mm. know it's not important. Right. Yeah, you have to make your own meaning. You're you're the author of your own of your own purpose and your own destiny and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Now, now Sean, what if I want to make my own meaning that there is a God who exists and I'm going to have a life after death? Is that on the table for the existential? No, nah, man, you're just fooling yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> man. Uh. <laughs> I've always wondered about that. What if I wanted to do that? No, no, that's not that. Okay. never mind. Can't, why would you can't do go that, there. man? The whole, point, the whole point is to be autonomous. Why, why do you want to put yourself under somebody? It's because it's better. Yeah, <laughs> because it's much better. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. So what things – so with your dissertation, like what specific take are you are you going after with nihilism? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I uh, – and and I'm still kind of fleshing this out, so I don't, I don't want to say this is – you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, but I'm going and I, 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 I can't speak super in depth with this yet, but the, the angle that I'm taking with it is specifically with Chesterton, right? How did, how did Chesterton handle the atheists and the materialists mm. and the, um, those who were dabbling with nihilism in his day? Okay. Mm. And I think probably one of the primary approaches that he took with them was he was trying to bring back some semblance of what what we would call epistemic humility or intellectual humility, which is a one of the virtues of temperance. Okay. It falls under temperance. And just the idea that I, I, I was mentioning this earlier about the core of like the atheist view or the materialist view, the, the claim of the atheist is that there is no God, right? God yes. does not exist, right? Hmm. Um, well, well, that is a very certain claim, mm. right? It's it's not like you're some agnostic who says, well, I don't know if there's a God or not. Yeah. Atheism says there is no God. I mean, that's a pretty definitive claim. It's very claim dogmatic, and, yeah. yeah. Very dogmatic and very certain, yep. right? The materialists are the, same, are the same way. There is no 
immaterial reality, mm-hmm. right? All that exists is, is the the physical universe, the whatever components make up yeah. uh, the physical world, material. Um, and Chesterton would say, well, how do you know that, right? So are, are you in possession of all the laws of the universe <laughs> that you know what they all are? Or how do you know that there is not some law that you have not discovered yet that, that you know, allows for like miracles or, or, or whatever, or can mm. suspend miracles yeah. or, or, or suspend natural law for miracles or anything like that. He says, how do you know, how can you make that claim? Hmm. He says, uh, I think the approach is what he was pushing was we need to back up and not make such strong claims as this is, there is no God or there is no immaterial reality, right? That, mm-hmm. that we need to, we, we need to approach our investigation of life and the world and existence with a lot of epistemic humility and mm. saying, here are things that I can be settled on and that I can have convictions of, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I need to leave an open mind, not so that I can abandon my convictions and accept anything, but so that I can be open to new uh, evidence and new lines of investigation mm. that may alter what I believe, yeah. but I don't jettison all my convictions, right? And and so, to me, I kind of see uh, in a lot of his writings that's the approach he's taking, and and I think to me it sound it looks like a good approach, right? And so I want to kind of investigate that in what I'm writing. Yeah, I think that's an awesome approach, man, because that truly is open mindedness, right? If you close the door to the supernatural, or you close the door that any God could exist. <laughs> Um, then when evidence presents itself that doesn't fit in with your dogmatic yeah. assumptions, uh, you you can't go there. You can't follow them, right? Like this is something I, I've thought about recently is for an atheist or a, a materialist worldview to be true, they, <laughs> they have to believe that all of the billions of people currently alive and in the past who've had supernatural experiences – it wasn't legitimate. Mm. Right. So what do you explain that phenomenon was? Like, like how yeah, do you, right. like that's an audacious claim to say, no, all these billions of people were wrong. And I think that's what you're saying Chesterton was getting at, saying we got to be a little more humble with what we can know mm. uh, and, and open-minded to the possibility that maybe there is more than what I think. Um, and I think, I mean, I don't know. The more I learn, and I'm sure the more you learn, the more you realize I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, not even scratching I, yeah. the surface. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be a lot dumber coming out of a PhD program than I thought I was going into it, right? Yeah, so. sure. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the point, right? <laughs> right, right. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you this just as an aside to our discussion here. You know, I've had other people ask me if I'd come on their podcast and talk about Chesterton and nihilism, and I've always been hesitant. So you're the first one that I've said yes to. Oh, thanks, man. Um, That's good. And uh, part of the reason is because I feel absolutely inadequate on the knowledge of a lot of this because there's so there's so much more I want to read. There's so much more I want to uh, I want to look into. Right? Sure. Sure. But, but you got to start somewhere. So, Sean, um, I, I do want to say this. 
Out of all the people alive in the world today, you are easily in the top half percent who knows about Chesterton and nihilism. That's probably That's true. true. It's just yeah. a true statement, right? <laughs> you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most people out there don't know what nihilism is. Most don't know who Chesterton was, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, on the Chesterton part, you, you can skip the nihilism if you want. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. That's fair. <laughs> Pretty uh, depressing. It Actually, is. Actually, man, that's been some of the hardest part with this whole COVID thing and, and reading all these nihilistic guys. Is, oh. It's been so depressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. No, it really is to just think there's nothing, no purpose. And then, like you said, for some reason, why why go to work? Why get out of bed in the morning? What's yeah. what's the point of any of it? Um, well, that, that's one of the reasons I, mean, I wanted to have you on because I didn't want to have to read all oh, that right. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was Camus' question. Uh uh, at the beginning of his uh, Myth of Sisyphus book, okay. he opens up his book in the very first paragraph. He says the only live uh, philosophical question is, why not suicide? Yeah. And, that, it, yeah. and legitimately, I mean, I think that's right. And, and then he goes on later on in that same, on that same first page. He says, uh, you know, the, the, the worth of a real philosopher is, is if they will uh, follow through with their convictions. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if you're a nihilist and, and you're not willing to commit suicide is, is what I assume he's getting at. Yeah. And then maybe you don't really believe it. Yep. Well, and this is this is a really sad story and I'm not going to name names, but I had a professor in seminary, a guy who mentored me. It was I mean, loved the Lord, but he grew up. Uh, his mom and dad were both elite professors at, at very prestigious universities, but they were nihilists. And they both mm-hmm. killed themselves. Mm. Because That's sad. It's so sad, heartbreaking. But that is the Camus. I, I agree with you. He's right. That's that's the end goal of that worldview, and um, that lie that people have believed that Satan has has prospered in the world. It leads people to death. When you believe lies, yeah. it always leads to death. Right. Yeah. But truth yeah. sets us free. And right. um, so, yeah, these ideas, you know, it's interesting to talk about and to, to think through and to see problems with. But oh, yeah. it's devastating that it, it really does affect people in the real world um, and and in their eternity. Yeah. What, what is it? Uh, I think Stone Street uh, tw- uh, uh, had a had a turn on that phrase of ideas have consequences. Oh, then I think mm-hmm. John Stone Street added and bad ideas have victims. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think. I think that's what this is, right? It causes tragic, uh, it causes tragedy and, and, and death, and mm-hmm. and it's just yeah. terrible what it leaves in its wake. It is, and if you contrast it with who God actually made us to be, he gave us a purpose, and he said, you're made in my image, and you are significant. And even in the creation story, you were intentional, right? Yeah. I didn't make you before the food and be like, oh, I, that's an afterthought. I better figure mm-hmm. it out for these guys. Like everything was made for you with you in mind because mm-hmm. you're the pinnacle of my creation. And, and Satan's tricked people into thinking you're nothing, you have no purpose, your individuality and your personality do not matter at all. And you've mm, got to get to yeah. this point where you realize nothingness is coming. And whether it's through Buddhism or whether it's through nihilism, however I can accomplish that in you, uh, I want to. Because that is – it's really stripping away the dignity and worth that God created us mm. with. Uh, and, yeah. that's, and that's what he's all about, right? Destroying God's greatest work of art. Uh, yep. which, which and, is us. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's that's I absolutely agree. Uh, Chesterton, you know, he ends. Uh, well, no, he doesn't end it. Um, I'm thinking of a different writing, but but he says that the uh, two greatest sins against hope mm-hmm. is presumption and despair. Mm. Right, the, the the presumption that we know and, and the despair against, you know, it, that things are just meaningless and pointless. Right. And mm-hmm. <laughs> man, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that guy was pretty wise. I think. Oh, yeah. I was pretty say, smart. Yeah. He knew a th- he knew a thing or two. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I love Chesterton. It's so fascinating to me. Cause, listen, C.S. Lewis was great. Sure, but people but read Lewis. Every- yeah, he, he learned everything from Chesterton. Yeah. That's how I feel. That's right. And, People read Lewis all the time, and a lot of people don't read Chesterton. I'm like, yeah. you come on. Like, So if you're out there and you're watching the show, right now, click on – you know what? I'm going to put a link in the video and in the yes. show notes. You're going to get a link to G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, and it's a yeah. must read. Introduction, yeah. here you go. So click on that. Buy it right now. You can thank us later. Um, it will yeah. blow your mind. Yeah, Robbie actually introduced me to that book. I read it for the first time through with him, and yeah, it's phenomenal. Just he's he's just such a brilliant mind. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant and, thinker. And a lot of the things we're talking about right now, he deals with throughout that whole book. Mm. I mean, that's uh, yeah. Yep, it's awesome. So, well, Sean, if people want to follow you yeah. or or see the stuff that you're doing, how how can they do that? Oh man. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you have an Instagram account, right? You're on Facebook. You post stuff on Facebook a lot. Yeah, I am on Facebook. Um, I don't know if I have an Instagram account. You do I have might. one because we tagged you. Do but I? You're not very active on there. So Facebook is better. Smart Faith? It's probably not a personal one, right? No, it's a personal one, yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I'll have to go check it out. I think your last <laughs> post was like from February of 2019 or Maybe something. Maybe that's it. <laughs> that's a- Dude, I can't remember what I did last week, so. Uh. <laughs> That's all right. Um, That's good. Well, and hey, and you, you've contributed to some books, right? Yeah, and every once in a while I'm, I'm on Twitter, but Facebook, you can always find me. Yeah. Um, mm. And if you look for me on Facebook, it, I look like Chesterton because yeah, oh, yeah. I'm using pictures. So, uh, yeah, so um, last December a book came out uh, on philosophy in Disney, mm-hmm. and I'm a – I had a uh, chapter in there that I co-wrote with my professor on, uh, it was actually on Chesterton and Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I just turned in a chapter a couple of weeks ago for another book on Disney and theology that should be out next year. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, um, and that one's looking at, uh, actually looking at the virtue of humility versus pride, uh, on that one. And then, but yeah, I've, I had a couple of chapters, uh, in, Sean and Josh McDowell's book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, mm-hmm. uh, I did a chapter on uh, uh, is Christian uh, pagan religion mm. or does that pagan roots or something like that? And then okay. I did the one on resurrection. And that's the updated one. Like, is it new the, evidence, right, that demands yeah, a verdict? Yeah. Thanks. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll put links in the show notes and on the video for that. So people, if you out, are out there and you want to go buy it, see the stuff Sean's done. It is awesome. Yeah. And uh, if you want to dive into G.K. Testerton and nihilism, you're going to have to wait till he finishes his dissertation. <laughs> and yeah, then you, right. can, you can go hog wild on that. That's going to be great. <laughs> well, Sean, man, thanks so much for being with us today. This has been awesome and really enlightening. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm fairly thankful that you've delved into the, the philosophy on this and even seeing the progression of it. And um, it's helpful to know 
yeah. how these ideas have developed, the thoughts behind them, and obviously what issues there are with them and mm. how they don't correlate with reality. So thanks so much, man. For yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yep. Go, go have some coffee on me. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> well, hey, thank you listeners out there for watching. If you would, subscribe to our videos, follow us, uh, rate us, review yes, us, please. all that normal stuff. But hey, we're really thankful for you being here with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. And we'll be back next week to talk more about nihilism. We'll see you then. Yeah, see you. Thanks for listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people. 